Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Kimberly Robinson, and the first Monday in October is coming upon us very soon. The justices will return to the bench on October 3rd. Among the many big cases that the court will hear this term is an IP case involving Andy Warhol, Prince, and the who's who of the Supreme Court bar. We're going to chat about that with our guest, Mel Boswick. But first, we're welcoming back another special guest. Jordan Rubin is back on the podcast. Welcome back, Jordan. It's great to be here, Kimberly. So what have you been doing uh, all this time where you've been off off of cases and controversies? Yeah, well, I've been spending some time with my new son, Jack, and so been able to take off and spend the summer with him. Well, that's great. Hopefully you've been keeping up with the cases. Yeah, I meant to ask you about that. So I took off a little before the end of the term. Has anything happened since then? Anything happened since the end of the term? Um, No, nothing worth noting. No, Jordan, we had a lot going on, um, which I'm sure with your new dad brain fog you missed. But we had a lot of really big cases, most notably the, the decision in Dobbs, which finally overturned Roe versus Wade. And that seems to be having a pretty big in- impact on the upcoming midterm elections. We'll see how that all plays out. Uh, this term, though, the justices do not seem like they're going to slow down. They've got some big cases, of course, on affirmative action. There's some uh, work to be done still in administrative law and uh, some immigration cases. I'm sure I'm missing something. But uh, of course, we also have this IP case involving copyright and transformative use. So what do you say? Should we have our guests on? I say yes. Fabulous. So joining us today is Mel Bostwick, a partner at Oryx Supreme Court and Appellate Practice. Um, before we get into this case, um, I, you were named in our 40 under 40 list in 2021, where you revealed your love of Radio Margaritaville. So I just wanted to <laughs> address that um, before. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you did you get pumped up getting ready for this podcast by listening to Radio Margaritaville? You know, I, I wish I had. I, I wish I were that organized <laughs> in the morning, but it was just a, a, a scramble to get here. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Well, I guess um, besides the Radio Margaritaville, the reason that we're talking to you today is because you filed an amicus brief in this case on behalf of professors, IP professors, uh, supporting the respondents here. You're pretty steeped in IP law. That's one of your other professed loves. Um, but for those of us who are not, can you just give us a pretty 30,000-foot view of what is going on in this case? Yeah, happy to. And, you know, um, I'm particularly steeped in patent law, whereas this case is on the copyright side. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll apologize to all the copyright experts out there in advance if I say something uh, wrong. So, yeah, so this case um, is sort of the latest uh, dispute to come to the court that involves the fair use doctrine in copyright. And so normally, you know, if you have uh, a copyright on something, your your protected expression Um, then others aren't allowed to use that without your permission. But there's this exception in the law for fair use. And this um, allows things like, you know, parody, for example. To parody something, you have to use the original material and you're not likely to be able to get the the permission or uh, the consent of of the, the copyright owner. 
But we think that that, you know, that new expression still adds enough to the the marketplace of ideas um, that we want to allow that um, commentary, right? Academic commentary, even you want to build scholarship, you have to be able to reference others work and comment on it. Um, and so there's this this whole area of exceptions where we let people uh uh, do what otherwise would be forbidden by the intellectual property laws. And in this case, what you have is Andy Warhol, right? So everybody knows Andy Warhol's style. I paint anybody, anybody that asks me. How do you choose to paint somebody? Just because they ask? Uh, yeah, that, that's the only way. He takes images and then he adds colors, he adds some, some stylistic elements to them, and, and he... Um, presents them as his art. But what he did here was he took a a photograph by another artist, uh, a, a rock and roll photographer, Elaine Goldsmith, and he took her photo of the artist Prince. And he added his Warhol effect. Now, originally when he did that, this he had permission. Um, and uh, Ms. Goldsmith was paid, Ms. Goldsmith was credited. And that photo ran back in, I think, uh, 1984. Fast forward to 2016, um, Andy Warhol's dead and Prince dies. And Condé Nast, which had published the original one, wants to uh, again run a version of this, uh, 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 what had been purple prints. This time they used orange prints, which was another one of the prints that, that uh, Warhol had created off of Ms. Goldsmith's photograph. And this time... They don't get Ms. Goldsmith's permission, they don't pay her, and they don't credit her. And so it's it's a, a new and uh, unlicensed use. And the question is, is this fair use because Andy Warhol added his Andy Warhol style to her photograph? And just to kind of make this a little more concrete for our listeners, I mean, we see fair use kind of everywhere. I mean, can you give us some example of some famous works that have been determined to be transformative. Sure. So the the you know the first one that comes to mind is from what everyone kind of thinks of as the the seminal uh Supreme Court case on this, which is the Campbell case. And this is uh two live crews um adaptation of Roy Orbison's Oh Pretty Woman into a much more uh vulgar piece that was making a very different uh, uh comment about the subject. So maybe we could talk about what the tests are at play in this case. So as you describe the facts of what happened, Mel, people might have ideas about what they think is fair or not, how something like this should be resolved. But what are the tests that courts are using that are at play here and how are they playing out in the case? Sure. So what you what the courts are trying to apply is this test that was set out in Campbell, which talks about whether the new use um, gives it a, a adds a new purpose or character and talks about adding new meaning, message, or expression. It's a pretty fuzzy test. And, uh, and I think that's where um, the lower courts have gotten confused and, and gotten into some disagreements about, you know, what does that mean, especially in a case like this. So the contrast that helps me understand it is there are easy cases. 
there's an easy Andy Warhol case in my mind. I, I, and I will also take a moment to say here that I'm speaking on behalf of myself and not my clients, uh, the professors on the Institute for Intellectual Property and Social Justice. But it, to my mind, um, you think of uh, Warhol's iconic uh, Campbell's Soup series. When Campbell's designed that label, Campbell's is using that to sell soup. That's their purpose. That's their message, buy our soup. Andy Warhol is obviously not trying to sell soup. He's, he's uh, you know, making a comment on commercialism or, but it's, it's, a, it's a clearly different expression. Any kind of, you know, reasonable observer is gonna see that. But when Andy Warhol takes another artist's artistic rendering of prints and uses it to make his own artistic rendering of prints, that's really different. Both of them have the same purpose. In fact, um, you know, both of them could have been selling the, their, their respective works to the same um, publications. And so to so the question, you need something more than what Campbell provides to figure out um, how to judge if that's fair use. And the parties here have kind of two very different approaches to what the answer should be. Right. And so that all kind of hinges on this idea of subjective meaning versus objective legal reasoning um, as you, you know, kind of spell out in your brief. Um, can you spell that out here for listeners? Sure. So I'll talk about the the party's positions first, and then I'll I'll share what uh, what we 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 proposed in our amicus brief. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the the Andy Warhol Foundation, you know, they think that the appellate court here, which held that this was not fair use, that's the decision that's being challenged at the Supreme Court, and what what they characterize it as is saying that the court said if there's visual similarity between the two works then that's not fair use. Now, I personally don't think that's a fair characterization of what the, the Second Circuit said, but that's their position. And what they say is, you know, you're, you're going to obliterate fair use in this area. And so what the test should be is, are you, you know, are you adding some expression, even if you're not commenting on the message of the original, but rather adding your own message to the subject of the original. And I realize this is all sounding very abstract and metaphysical, but that's that's where we're at in this area of law. But that's kind of <laughs> the, the test they put forth to be fair use. Whereas the, uh, the Goldsmith side, they're really focusing on kind of the purpose behind the examples of fair use that are given in the statute. So, um, you know, comment and criticism. And so their, their test is, you know, it, it goes back to this idea of, was the copying necessary? Did you have to copy uh, the, did you have to take some of the original expression in order to achieve your own expressive purpose? And uh, and they say that here, you know, Andy Warhol could have used any photograph of Prince. He could have paid uh, for the use of the Goldsmith photograph. Um, it wasn't necessary to, to, you know, make whatever point he was making. So that's kind of how the parties have set it up. Um, what what we did, you know, particularly looking at it from a, a social justice lens, it's really important to be able to get this test right because otherwise you end up in a situation where um, the sort of dominant groups in society are really able to exploit fair use for their benefit and to the disadvantage of, of marginalized creators. And so the test that we proposed um, is whether the message of the secondary work subverts, subordinates, or extinguishes 
the message of the original. And we think that's just a bit more of a, a concrete test so that you can really tell, is there truly a different message here? And so Mel, something that I'm struggling with is I'm looking at this issue and this is really across all of the briefs and opinions, I think, is that I don't see how a court avoids playing the art critic, which it is not qualified to do under any of these standards. And so how are you solving this with your test? So what what we think is the way around that uh, is really focusing on this the reasonable observer, the ob- objective test versus looking at the subjective intent, because that's that's what you have, right? If you look at the um, the Orange Prince image in isolation, and you didn't know anything about Andy Warhol, and and you're just looking at that, I think it's really hard to say that you would come up with, hmm, I think there's a comment on celebrity here. Once Andy Warhol says that, or or his you know his foundation says that, okay, you can see it, but you need that subjective explanation in order to get there, and that's where we think um, courts get into trouble playing art critic is weighing like two artists' competing explanations of what they were trying to achieve through their work. So tell me if I'm getting this wrong, but basically you say you have to be able to sort of see it. It can't be that you go to the artist and you say, well, what what was it that you were trying to achieve here? Oh, okay, I can see how that's different. It has to be something observable without any more information. Exactly. Okay. I'm wondering, you know, transformative use has been around for a bit. Um, You say that it's sort of a mess in the lower courts. Is this going to resolve the issue once and for all? Or are we still going to, are we still going to have to kind of um, be in this mess, I guess? Well, I like to be optimistic. So I'll say, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, let's, maybe. let's see what the court does. That's very optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I think the realistic answer is this isn't going to solve it once and for all. If, if the court had the ability to sort of you know, give us the the once and final answer of what is a transformative use, then we might have seen it a couple of years ago in, in Oracle v. Google. And obviously that's that's a different context that's dealing with um, software versus, you know, artistic works. But um, if there were an easy answer here or if there were even an accessible answer here, um, I think we would have had it. I, 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 I My hope is that the court will use this case to give us more guidance than they did in Campbell. And and part of that, you know, is not the court's fault, right? The Supreme Court in Campbell didn't end up actually resolving the question of was it a, a, a transformative fair use. They just laid out what the, the lower court should have been looking at. And so here, if they can take the opportunity to just, just put some more meat on the bones of that test, uh, I think that will be a real improvement. And as we're looking forward to the argument, you know, this is a term we're hearing cases involving voting rights, affirmative action that have this clear political valence to them. And you sort of know who on the court is going where, especially since the court has not taken on this issue, at least in this form in decades. What do we know about this court and how its particular justices are going to be looking at this issue? So I am really loath to predict how any uh, <laughs> any individual <laughs> justice on this court will act, but you know I think there there are 
some knowable things. So we have, again, the most recent um, opinion on fair use is Oracle v. Google. I think um, Justice Thomas's dissent there, which was joined by Justice Alito, I think that's instructive on on their views on transformative use, um, particularly because they were skeptical of of finding uh, a transformative use even in the computer software context. Um, and if you look at their analysis there, um, I suspect they will take a more um, restrictive view of of what counts as transformative here as well. Beyond that, I don't have a lot of clear answers. And I, I think, you know, um, this case, perhaps unlike Oracle v. Google, has some some political valence, some social justice valence. We certainly think that. You have um, kind of a powerful, well-known uh, creator. Um, you know, I think it's interesting that the, the petitioner's brief focuses so much on how much money Warhol gets for his works. Um, and, and as though that's that's relevant to whether his use is fair um, against kind of, you know, the little guy, uh, Lynn Goldsmith, who is a, an extremely talented photographer, but certainly not um, with the same status. So, you know, maybe there's there's a way in which the justices could see that differently, depending on where they are on the political spectrum. But it's it's not so clear cut. And of course, um, we have we are now hearing this without Justice Breyer, who was um really interested in copyright. And so not only will we miss his um, long hypotheticals about Scarlet Tanagers and Baltimore Orioles, um, <laughs> but we don't have kind of his, uh, his, his known views on the subject. Yeah, I hadn't thought about this, but this was really a case for Justice Breyer to shine um, with his crazy hypotheticals. So <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, well, thank you so much for chatting with us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. So that was a great conversation with Mel. I think um, this is a pretty hard to understand area, but I think she brought some concrete examples for us. Yeah, I'd be interested if the court does wind up looking at it as a social justice case. And if they do, I wonder if it would wind up coming down on a result that Mel would want mm -hmm. if they do look at it through that lens. But mm -hmm. we'll have to see. Well, for those of you who are interested in hearing more about this case, our video team here at Bloomberg Law put together a really great video on this case. It's called Prince Andy Warhol and Fair Use at the Supreme Court. Fair Use steps in where copyright should not go too far. So, so please like give that a watch on our site. Before it gets taken down by the Supreme Court. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so... Jordan, next week we'll be back with our first sneak peek of the term. All right. Yeah, I got to remember how we do this thing. So just <laughs> to remind me and everyone else who's listening, we'll give a little preview of the cases that are coming up each week, right? And then after the end of the sitting, we'll do a deep dive look back like we did for the Looking Forward Deep Dive interview with Mel, looking at one of the cases that was argued during the sitting. Do I have that right? You have that right, Jordan. So until then, you can follow along with all the latest Supreme Court news at news.bloomberglaw.com. I'll give you that one since you just came back. But after this, no more. Have you ever thought to yourself, how is that legal? Why is that legal? Have you ever seen a big trial in the news and wondered, what's really happening there? Have you ever pondered the question, why are lawyers the way that they are? And how much money do they really make anyway? These are the things we live and breathe over at On the Merits, Bloomberg Law's weekly legal news podcast. 
On the Merits looks into the biggest stories playing out in the legal industry right now. And we feature the finest journalists covering the biggest legal stories from across the Bloomberg Law newsroom. You can hear it wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening.